Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. Today's podcast is about Habakkuk's concern for violence done to the earth. What violence was Babylon doing to the earth? How should this impact how we view the earth? Mm. What is our responsibility mm. to care for the earth as Christians? So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. My name is Cole. I'm the worship leader at Frontier Church, and I'm here with... Joseph. I am uh, the official greeter at Frontier Church. And I'm Andrew. I am the young adults director for <laughs> connectivity. Can you imagine? Oh, man. Okay, so guys, we are on, I think, week six of our Habakkuk sermon series. Week six? Is that right? I think so. In between week okay. six and week seven? Yep. Who's counting? Who's counting? How's, <laughs> how's it going for you guys? How's, how's Habakkuk going? Are you guys being impacted by it? Is anything standing out to you so far? I mean, there's just so much heaviness to Habakkuk, um, which is, you know, we're you're a pretty chipper dude, Cole. We've got a lot of chipper people in our church. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of people yeah, who yeah. like to express their emotions, um, whether they're you know feeling good emotions or they're feeling bad emotions. We've got people who like to express them. So Habakkuk is really interesting because the content is so heavy. You know, wrestling with God controlling evil, God you know raising up a wicked nation to punish His people, God you know God seeming to be distant or silent. So it's really it's been you know discussion. And community group discussion with other church members has been really interesting because the, the content is so heavy. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people in our church who are suffering or going through difficult seasons right now. Um, so uh, the the content in Habakkuk, I think, has been really timely for our church. Yeah, we you know we this isn't the first prophet that we've read or that we've we've preached on. We we did Jonah, um, but Jonah doesn't really read like a prophet. No, he, you know, like he doesn't he doesn't really pronounce like prophetic woes like Isaiah or Jeremiah mm-hmm. or or Habakkuk, and so like working through the prophetic woes and the tradition of pronouncing woes as a prophet on um, on Babylon has been has been heavy. Yeah, it's been heavy. It's not my natural, like you said, it's not my natural disposition. But I don't know, it stretches me. What's it been like for you to lead worship on Sundays, Joseph, with like the heavy content that we've been preaching on? Yeah, that's a good question. Mm, but definitely, I mean, you can you you feel it. I think even from the con- congregation, and which not a bad thing. You just know people are really like contemplating everything that they've been going through <clears throat> over the course of the six weeks that we've been doing this. And I think too, like we're very like for the glory of Jesus and joy of the Des Moines. And like, sometimes it's not easy to be joyful when you're going through such like a heavy thing. You're like, Oh mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. That's it's right. not. And I don't think it's like a bad, a bad thing to be like, Oh my gosh, like there's so much going on right now. And this is a lot. I think it's good for us to be able to like process through those, those feelings, even in a book like Habakkuk and sermons that are so like intense um, because you come out, as we'll see at the end of Habakkuk with joy in your hearts rejoicing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, so I guess it's good because I'm looking forward to, um, the day that it is like we are done in, in a sense of like that day is going to be like a big time party, I think, because we'll be able to like, we've processed all through this and now we get to really rejoice through like everything we've learned. And that's an exciting day for us. 
not like a, I can't wait to get to the end kind of a thing, you know? So, mm, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think it's been hard for me as a leader because um, you guys know me and you know the vision that I have for what it means to be part of a community and what it means to be part of a church. Mm-hmm. I just haven't, I just have an interesting background of being involved with sports and athletics and having a lot of experience with teamwork. And sometimes I impart those expectations onto the church, you know, mm-hmm. like, like last, last weekend, the, 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 the team that I coach, we won districts and it came down to like the last match. And when the last match went our way, like everybody was jumping up and down. And like, I had like a wrestler jump on top of me and we were high fiving and like hooping and hollering. And there's something inside of my heart that wants the church to be like that. Mm. Like that's my vision for what it means to meaningfully belong to the same organization and moving in the same direction. Yeah. It's like we're high fiving and we're hooping and hollering together. Yeah. And so I have to remember that it's okay, especially when you're preaching through something like Habakkuk, mm-hmm. to have a church who's primarily filled with people who are kind of like scratching their heads after a sermon and just mm-hmm. kind of silently pondering what just happened. Yeah. Definitely. Rather than just being like, oh, this church doesn't get it. Yeah. These yeah, people yeah. don't get it. It's like, no, no, no. This is, this is the right response to a sermon on prophecies of destruction <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you're not preaching through the woes in habakkuk with a you know big old grin on your face like hey <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah the church yeah even though like the, as the preacher you know where you're going um at the end of the sermon when you're connecting christ to the text and showing that there's hope to be found in jesus mm-hmm. there's hope to be found when we're being disciplined um but the church is still like okay dang what did i how do how does that fit into my life? How does that fit into the mm, nooks and crannies mm-hmm. of my heart? So, yeah. yeah. So I guess you even like, even for me, like picking songs, I'm, I'm trying to pick like you're saying, like hopeful songs in the midst of that. Um, Cause it's really not common for someone to write a worship song about destruction and woes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, not anymore. so yeah, not anymore. Yeah. 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 So, um, so that's definitely something I like. I try to focus on, like, okay, where's the hope found in this, and will it really like tie into what is being preached? So, there better be some bangers written after this <laughs> pandemic. Oh, buddy. Well, the problem is that we're going into the Lent season. <laughs> Even better. And so, like, <laughs> once this is done, we're spending more time at the cross of Christ and meditating on the fact that mm-hmm. what have we done to the crucified yeah, Christ? Yeah. So, Easter had better be a party. <laughs> bring your champagne, man. Bring bring Wee. some balloons. Let's let's party on Easter and let's mm. let's be the city's most joyful church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we, so we're talking about God's love for creation in the earth today. We're covering questions like, um, okay, what violence was Babylon doing to the earth? And the basis for this comes from Habakkuk chapter two, verse seventeen. So here's here's the fourth woe that God pronounces on Babylon. He says, "The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you." as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. So God's angry because Babylon's doing what? Because they're committing violence to the Lebanon forests. Because they're they're doing violence to the earth. So I kind of want to talk about like, 
Okay. Um, how should this impact the way that we view the earth and what is our responsibility to care for the earth as, as Christians? So I want to get around to those questions, guys. Uh, but first, let's just talk about, can we just talk about as followers of Jesus and people why we love nature and why we love creation? Dude, you shared that story about um, New Zealand earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just talk. So the story goes, um, I was riding with a buddy of mine in New Zealand in this van we were going to pick up someone from the airport and um we came up over this hill and new zealand is pretty picturesque all Mm -hmm. around i mean there's really not a place it's a postcard man on either of the islands it's like oh that's ugly there's just not a place like that so but you take advantage of it especially after you've been there for a while and i think even in america we do this but so we're coming up over this hill and my buddy just slams on the brakes and I almost <laughs> smashed my face into the dashboard and I, I look over and I'm like, what, what happened? What, what happened? Like, what's going on? And he's like, wow, just look at that. And we're, it, the like hill comes up and then it takes a left turn, but it's like a valley overlook at this left turn. And you just, I mean, for miles, you just see green, lush grass and then some mountains in the background. You're like, oh, man. And he just stopped and he's like, can we just sit here for a while and look at this? Like, look at that, how beautiful it is and how amazing it is that God would create that for us to just enjoy and be a part of. And I was like, okay, I have never taken the time and now I'm (laughs) definitely taking the time. So we sat there for probably 10 minutes and just (laughs) totally, I mean, it changed everything for me and just how I look at like being out and about in in the world and yeah yeah because it takes it it's almost like was him like the way i viewed him at that moment was like you know a five-year-old or something that sees a flower or oh yeah in, in our case in iowa it's like those little the little things that you blow the seeds off of and it blows into the wind and it's you know what i'm talking about little thing yeah yeah, yeah 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 i know what you're talking yeah. about dandelion thing dandelions yeah they're the worst but the kids love them because it's like they're just so excited like oh, right oh yeah, look yeah, at that yeah. or they grab like a little wildflower out of the ground and give it to their mom and so like it was it was in that moment like i'm thinking like i need to take my account of creation and see it as beautiful and be blessed and honored to be a part of it because it's just an amazing thing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and being all all the time you know, not I just love, sometimes. I love, I love that your friend slammed the brakes. Like it's such a, <laughs> like such like a cinematic moment, you know, like I feel like that belongs in a movie oh where like the, the brakes screech. Yeah. Did they? Yeah, dude, this guy like hit it hard. Really? Like, like from, I'm not like, kidding. 60 I, to, yeah. Like, I would like definitely almost hit my face on the dashboard. Could you smell the rubber? I don't know if I smelled the rubber, but I definitely felt like I thought something broke in the car. He like saw a deer or something. And it definitely was just slam the brakes. <laughs> we're just looking at this valley. It leave a skid mark? I don't know. I didn't get out. I just looked out the window. <laughs> <laughs> here's what. So here's what Calvin says. Calvin says, <laughs> "Quote: There is no doubt that the Lord desires us to be uninterruptedly occupied in holy meditation. That we should not run over all of creation cursorily with a fleeting glance, but we should ponder creation at length." Turn it over in our minds seriously and faithfully and joyfully and recollect creation repeatedly. So um, Calvin is saying you should slam the brakes. Yeah. Like more often in life. Like we should <laughs> slam the brakes and mm-hmm. just look. 
Yeah. So sweet. So now when I'm on trips, like 60 miles an hour to yeah. zero miles an hour, slam the brakes. Just boom. Now when I'm on trips with the kids and Shay, like if we go somewhere, you just give them all whiplash. Driving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't slam on the brakes, but I definitely take the time. If we're at a place where I think like, this is a beautiful thing to see. I'm like, okay, we're going to take a chill pill here and just like take this in. And Shaylin's like, really? I'm going to stop right now. And I'm like, remember that story? She's like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, let's look. So, <laughs> Maybe so, we got to slam the brakes. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure I was on the way to see her for the first time in New Zealand. So that was like another reason I was like, why'd you stop? Like, we got to get to the airport. Like, come on, let's go. <laughs> Dude, that's going to be like my discipleship question for this week. Like, I'm going to annoy all my disciples this week and be like, hey, can you t- like, tell me a moment this week when you slam the brakes. There you go. When did you slam the brakes and just be amazed by God's creation? Mm. Self, do you have a moment where like you fell in love with nature? Oh man, um, yeah. All my family, my my blood comes from Appalachia, so mm-hmm. like the, my favorite part of the country is is you know the Appalachian Mountains. Um, so as a kid, I would go see my grandparents um, in Tennessee. And we would go drive up into the mountains, go to these water waterfalls, go to go to you know a rope swing off the river. So I just grew up like whether I was living in Texas at the time or in Iowa or in Arizona. Every summer I looked forward to going to Tennessee to see those mountains, or to go there in the fall and see all of the trees. You know, you got these beautiful orange and red and yellow leaves. And they turn colors in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I grew up with that great appreciation for for. for uh, for creation in the mountains. And mm-hmm. when I lived in Arizona, you know, going from trees to desert, mm-hmm. it's like, man, this place is ugly. And so what I realized that caused in me was like to look for the beauty in specific things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you look at a cedar tree and it's kind of like, eh, that's not really that cool. But like try to, what's beautiful about this thing? Like if God has created this, this tree or this certain geography, like try to find the beauty in it. It may not yeah, be my natural yeah. disposition to appreciate that type of beauty, but you know, like in Iowa, there's not really any mountains, but I got to, I got a chance to drive about an hour outside of Des Moines and uh, <clears throat> get into that where there's some rolling hills and all this farmland and it was just covered in snow. I was like, man, this is beautiful. Yeah. So that, wow. yeah. So I've got to see, yeah, got to see desert where my wife is from. There's, it's completely flat, but there's this, the second largest canyon in North America, mm-hmm. um, Paladero Canyon. And man, that place is beautiful whenever there's snow. It's awesome. Huh. Is it called the almost Grand Canyon? <laughs> Grand Canyon light. <laughs> yeah. My, my dad is like, my dad is a lover of, of nature. Hmm. And that's definitely something that he's, he's actually like articulated as a, a desire for me to pass down to my kids. Like he's asked me like, Hey, you're, you're going to like, take your kids fishing and like explore nature together with your kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, I see that as part of my dad's enduring legacy is his love for nature. He's, he's even told me before that that's his favorite thing about the Bible mm-hmm. is how the Bible talks about nature. And so I just have like a lot of memories growing up, going fishing with my dad. And um, when I was little, I felt like the worst sin in the world anybody could commit. I shouldn't say sin. Cause I didn't, didn't have those categories, but I feel I felt like the worst thing a human being could do in the world was leave behind their trash at a fishing hole. Mm-hmm. Like my dad was like adamant <laughs> that you make sure that that fishing hole is better 
than when you found it. Mm-hmm. So there was like nothing worse like than my dad coming up on like a fishing hole and seeing some Gatorade bottles there. You know, you like curse those kids and everything <laughs> like that. And so like my desire to like love nature, I think is kind of tied to that experience. Mm-hmm. I just realized Joseph has a shirt that says you can't eat money and it's got vegetables on it. Let's go. <laughs> did you plan that? No, I didn't. Well, the really? Lord did. The Lord oh, did. Holy Spirit, here we dude. go. That's pretty neat. <laughs> nature. Nature. Yeah, it's, I, I like looking at nature, but I don't necessarily like going on like hiking or camping or things like that. Which, oh, really? Yeah. That surprises me. I mean, I don't mind going on a hike, but I'm not like looking at like some people who want to go on vacation. All they do mm-hmm. is hike or camp. Like that's just not me. I like to get in it and just settle in and rest in it. So like I love anytime Tracy and I, before we had kids, we, um, get away for a hunt for a vacation or we went on our honeymoon. We wanted to go somewhere that was not like a, wasn't a city, but we could get out in, in uh creation. Like we, mm-hmm. we went to hot Springs, Arkansas, which is not necessarily known as a hotbed of fun. <laughs> you wouldn't, uh, you know, people looked at us weird when we told them we were going to hot Springs for our honeymoon, but you know, there's just <laughs> mountains and gardens and all mm-hmm. these, all these lakes. It was just beautiful just cause it's, so different than our normal life of living in a city yeah. and, you know, driving in cars to, and just, you know, dr- seeing buildings everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just, I like to mm-hmm. get into the middle of nowhere and just, yeah. just look at it. Hmm. So it's just interesting when you read Habakkuk chapter two, because you're going through these five woes. And you expect God to pronounce woes on the Babylonians for destroying human beings. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, screw those guys. Like, like, you know, throw down your wrath for destroying yeah, human yeah. beings and for cheating human beings and for doing but it's it's kinda it kinda makes you slam the brakes when you read verse seventeen and God's concern is for the earth. You know, the violence done to Lebanon, these amazing these amazing cedars will overwhelm you. And for the violence done to the earth destruction is going to come upon you. You slam the brakes and you're like, whoa, whoa. So God's angry, not just because the Babylonians are devastating Judah, but even God's earth. It's like, what, what's, what's going on here? Let's explore the first question of what is Babylon doing to Lebanon? It's interesting because it's mentioned in Second Kings and and Isaiah fourteen, like what's going on? So, so you have this this wicked people and this wicked king, and their wickedness was so well rounded that they hated people who weren't of their tribe. They hated the creation, like the they hated so nature. Consistent. Yeah, and they hated <laughs> they hated animals. Uh, they had no regard for any of God's created things or God's created people. Um, so it's really interesting to see that the their idolatry their uh, perverse nature had led them to a point where they just did not care about anything in the created world. Mm, like, yeah. And they boasted about it. In Second Kings, um, the king of Assyria is said to have boasted over his victory of cutting down the cedars and cypresses uh, of the forest. It was really interesting. And then in Isaiah... Maybe he boasts about it? Yeah. Like he brags about it? Like, like he sees it as an accomplishment? Yeah. By the hand of your messengers, you have mocked the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up to the height of the mountains, to the remote areas of Lebanon. I have felled the tallest of its cedars, the choicest of its cypresses, and entered the place of overnight lodging, even to the edge of the forest of its fertile land. So like he's boasting about mm. decimating creation. <clears throat> wow. So here's a here's a token quote. So J.R. Token said, 
Every tree has its enemy, but few have an advocate. Dude, okay, so <laughs> Isaiah 14 will tie in with that. Um, this is about the, the fall of the king, and uh, Isaiah in this prophecy says, All of the earth rests and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Even the cypress rejoices over you. Mm. The cedars of Lebanon, since you were laid down, no woodcutter comes up against us. Sheol below is getting excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses the dead spirits for you, all of the leaders of the earth. (laughs) It raises all of the kings of the nations from their thrones. Isaiah 14 is baller. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can you break? Okay, what did he just say? Um, The spirits... In the underworld are excited. Yeah, Sheol is excited to greet you. (laughs) Oh, so the same way that you cut down the cedars of Lebanon, you're going to be cut down by Uh the Lord? Yeah. Like that cast song? Yeah. Sooner or later, God is going to cut you down? Yeah, man. It's like, so the the king rejoiced over destroying the cedars, rejoiced over destroying the, the cypresses, but now it's been reversed. The cypresses rejoice over the wicked king. The the cedars rejoice over the wicked king, and no oh. woodcutter is going to come up against them anymore. So it's a prophetic irony, just like Habakkuk. Yeah, this this is the downfall of the king of Babylon. Crazy dude. Very interesting. Yeah, I didn't look at Isaiah fourteen <laughs> yeah, this morning. Crazy. I'm really glad that you, you brought that up. That's like key. It's nuts, man. So yeah, so just seeing. Hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, God caring. You know, we as Christians we believe that God created the physical world right we we believe that wholeheartedly people disagree on how God went about that but all Christians believe that God created the world and so he creates these things and he looks back and he observes it and it's good so God has this care for the for the earth he has this care for Eden and Adam and Eve were commanded to go out mm-hmm. and to make the rest of the world look he like even Eden he blesses creation in Genesis yeah. yeah before human beings are even created so i would say it's pretty that God cares about it might be a uh, an understatement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so if you know it's this upside down thing where where man is supposed to cultivate the earth, not destroy the earth. And so when humanity gets to a certain point of its, you know, of its pridefulness and of its wickedness, it has no care for the earth. Um which is, you know, you're seeing that in our in our context where people <clears throat> want money, they want power, what do they do? They desolate the earth. They, you know, burn down the rainforest so they can plant crops to feed more cows. People mm, build these yeah. gigantic buildings to sell more things and to increase their footprint on the earth. Hmm. Wow. Wow. So Babylon's <laughs> taking advantage of the cedars of Lebanon. Uh-huh. So the cedars of Lebanon, they did they surround all of Israel? Like or just kind of a corner of Israel. I, I know that the cedars of Lebanon belonged to Israel, and they kind of operated as like this big old forest that was kind of a, a boundary marker between Israel and the rest of the world, which I think is probably significant. Um, so I should have done my homework on that. Yeah, I don't have a... I just searched, and it says, only 17 square kilometers of cedars remain in scattered groves. The country's most famous cedar patch, sometimes called the Cedars of the God, hmm. have been fenced off for preservation since 1876. Interesting. They're a big deal because in the scriptures, um, the Cedars of Lebanon are mentioned 103 times in the Bible. So here's just like, here's a couple examples of the way that they're talked about in the Bible. So if you're listening to this podcast in your car, just 
I'm going to read four of these. Just turn these over in your mind and think about the cedars of Lebanon. Here's Psalm 92. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. Ezekiel 31. Behold, I will liken you to a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and forest shade. Psalm 104. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. It's pretty cool. So what's going on is, um, so before, this isn't just like a, a Babylonian thing. So before Babylon was the most powerful nation in the ancient world, it was it was the Assyrians, right? And their relationship mm-hmm. to Nineveh. And so, you know, Nineveh was also talked about in the scriptures as taking advantage and cutting down the cedars of Lebanon. So it's almost like Babylon, once they conquered um, Assyria and Nineveh, kind of continued that legacy. But like the reason why is it's, you can, you can imagine why Um, your neighbors with Judah. um, If you're, if you're part of Babylon, you're, you're aiming for world dominion. You want to become the most powerful ancient world. And so you want to conquer the world. And so to do that, you have to expand and expand and expand your kingdom. And that means that you have to build more and more shrines and more and more temples to your pagan gods. And so you don't have a lot of forests in Babylon, but your neighbors do. Mm-hmm. So you peek over at your neighbors and you see a sweet patch of woods over there, the cedars of Lebanon, and you start cutting down those trees. You start tearing them down and you start stealing and plundering their own forest. I think there's even there's even like carvings and ancient carvings you can find of uh, Babylonians cutting down the cedars of Lebanon and bringing them over to Babylon in order to create more sanctuaries and temples for their gods. Dude. Yeah, I mean, in those, I don't know if you've looked at pictures of those cedars, but they're gigantic. You know, huge. They were a hot commodity to to build things, and and we know that. You know, and when I, when I think about being a Christian and and how my that relates to me with creation, you know, it's not God is not anti cutting down trees and using them, but there's right, a right. But there's a way to steward that, and so mm-hmm. because uh, they used the cedars to build the first temple. Mm-hmm. And God loves that yeah. and blesses that. Because it's beautiful, it's good. Yeah. But what he doesn't like is people cutting them down just to cut them down or cutting them down to to um, you know offer sacrifices to other gods, yeah. to practice idolatry. Yeah. Um, yeah so it's yeah, really yeah. interesting to see the parallel of Israel understanding that creation that comes from Yahweh, and they're going to use these cedars to glorify Yahweh, to worship Yahweh with. But we have the Babylonians who they want to show their power and their might, and they want to worship themselves and their gods. And so they go in and they just wreak havoc hmm. in the cedars hmm. of of of, uh, of Lebanon and the cypresses. Like these people, they just didn't care. They wanted to do yeah, whatever yeah. they could to show their might and to worship themselves. Yeah. Which is kind of like that's like thematic throughout the scriptures. Which is like wherever you have an abusive leader who's filled with idolatry, he ends up taking advantage and exploiting uh, people around him, you know, like, um, and raping and pillaging the earth too. Mm-hmm. Like you, you see that God is very anti world dominion, like right away with the tower of Babel, yep. you know, he smacks that down. But even when you turn the page from Genesis to Exodus, you see that Pharaoh, cause he loves himself and needs to be worshiped as a God 
ends up exploiting the people around him to continue to build his pyramids. Mm-hmm. And that's how we see that God's people, the Israelites in the book of Exodus, go into slavery. It's because we've got a labor problem because of the idolatry. Uh-huh. And so mm-hmm. the same thing's kind of going on with Babylon, where they want to worship their war strength. Um, they want to be known as the most important nation in the ancient world. And so they create a, not a labor problem, but a, a resources problem. Mm-hmm. They don't have enough resources to fill their idolatry, and so they end up stealing and cutting down mm. the woods from Lebanon. Lebanon. Um, one commentator says, and I feel like this is a no-brainer, but I just want to read it. One commentator says, Lebanon here should not be taken as a figure of speech, but used literally. Both the Assyrians and Babylonians transported wood from Lebanon for their temples and other edifices. Their cutting down of wood was wanton, and perhaps the use of cedars by the Chaldean in any form may have been considered desecration. So that commentator is saying, you shouldn't just read this as a metaphor for the Babylons are doing bad things. They were literally doing this. (laughs) They're literally doing this, and God is literally angry at that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, we can see that in in the world right now with with leaders having no regard for creation, like people. I mean, this and we were kind of talking about this earlier. Like, is why do some Christians, um, why do some you know conservative evangelicals kind of scoff at uh, renewable energy or recycling? Yeah, I'm confused. Like, I can't put the pieces of the puzzle together. And you were helping me kind of. Put some because I've only been a Christian for like a decade now, and so I'm confused by some of those things. Yeah, and I, you know, I growing up in the South, growing up in you know Southern Baptist churches, you have people who don't want to have the appearance of being a, a Democrat. It's like the Democrats that you know that environmentalist tree hugger stuff that belongs to Democrats. We don't want to do that, and so people scoff at windmills or wind turbines. They scoff at recycling. You know, they view the recycling container just as another trash can. Um, they make fun of composting. And I think it's just a yeah. It's that that issue has been politicized, right? But some of the people that I know who care for creation the most are also Christians. But there, yeah, there's this weird. You know, we've we've hitched evangelicalism with capitalism. Uh, quite a bit as well, and so it's well. We gotta, you know, feed more people. We gotta build more things to make our lives easier and our lives better. Um, so, you know, a wind turbine is an is an obstacle to creating more jobs. Mm. You know, there's statistics out there for every wind turbine that goes up, X amount of oil workers are you know put out of put out sure. of work, or you know, coal miners are put out of work. So, it, th- there is a yeah. way to go about this, and so we have to think of ourselves as stewards of creation. Mm. Um, because God cares deeply about creation. We've been entrusted the stewardship. We've been entrusted these resources to steward well. And I just hate that politics has become a part of this. And with the pandemic, that's given us a, you know, it showed us what rulers and what corporation leaders really care about. Mm-hmm. They care about dominating. They care mm-hmm. about yeah. controlling. Yeah. They yeah, care they about do. building their empires. Um, and so I, I think this is a good moment for Christians to to think about creation. It's kind of a, a leap to go from that to thinking about creation, but God has given us this created world and we need to enjoy it. We need to cultivate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Chad, I had this moment a year ago where I was just confused because I couldn't put these puzzle pieces together like you're doing for me now self but um chad has this metal straw you guys seen this chad Mm -hmm. farling he's got this metal straw that he carries around it's fantastic it's this little metal straw so that he doesn't use up a bunch of plastic straws Mm -hmm. 
And um, like a year ago, I, I heard somebody just kind of like, kind of sort of scoff at it. And I was like, why would that possibly be a bad thing to have a metal straw? That just <laughs> seems like a good idea. Yeah. And it helps, that helps me make sense of why some conservative Christians seem to not care about nature or to attribute the care of nature to, oh, that's just some limp-wristed, you know, liberal tree-hugging hippie, yeah. <laughs> where I'm like, I feel like God is a tree-hugger. Is that the right thing to say? Or is that bad? I think it probably just depends on the context of what tree hugger means. <laughs> okay, yeah. Lover of nature. Yeah. yeah. So maybe I shouldn't have said God is a tree hugger. Yeah. I mean, like I grew up in Alabama and I don't know. Oh, didn't. Now I know. But I did not even think about recycling. That doesn't happen. They don't pick it up. We don't do it. Everything goes in the trash can and everything goes to the dump. That's about as good as it gets. And I guess someone maybe tries to sort through that. I mean, which was hard because like probably has a lot to do with what you were saying, Andrew, just like, like attaching like those things to Democrats and being from Alabama, like Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of those. Well, I don't know anymore, but um, (laughs) anyway, um, it's a whole other conversation. (laughs) um, But so like, so for me coming to Des Moines, they're like, you got recycling every other week. And I'm like, recycling. What are you talking about? What's that thing? And they're like, yeah, you got to do that. And some people even compost and they have these stupid big things in their front yard that like it's compost. I haven't even, I still don't know what they are, but they're just big, like eyesores in people's front yards. (laughs) And I'm like, what is that? And they're really hard to get out of the ground. Yep. Like really hard to get out of the ground. Took me like a week to get the one out of our (laughs) heart. What the heck did they do? Because they make sure it's there. But like, this wasn't a thought process for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, so then... The guy who's wearing a shirt that says you can't eat. Well, yeah. (laughs) It took me a while. Um, (laughs) But now, you know, but, but I think that just to that point, like sometimes people just don't know and I think it may just be a common sense thing. It should be, but I don't think people are raised in that in some scenarios. And so you just like, you just, you don't think about it. You're yeah. Like, oh yeah. Okay. I'll just pick up the trash or whatever. So yeah, we're in a weird time where, um, people like to have virtue signal and show their, look, look how good I am because I'm recycling. Mm-hmm. Look how mm-hmm. good I am because I yeah. drive a Prius. Look how good I am because <laughs> I don't take, I don't use uh, plastic bags. I use these tote bags. Yeah. Um, and people on the other side of that say, Hey, yeah, all this recycling stuff that we're doing, that gets shipped over to these third world countries for them yeah. to sort and it winds up in the seas. Um, hey, cause hmm. like, so I like can Texas right now. Um, there's been a huge ice storm down there. And the wind turbine blades have frozen. So they're Mm. flying helicopters to defrost and to defreeze the wind turbine blades. Yeah. So people are, are, you know, saying, yeah, you guys wanted this clean energy, but now you got to fly these helicopters using fuel Mm. to spray chemicals on a wind turbine blade. It's such a crazy picture to look at. It's nuts. And so people, yeah, it's crazy, man. So people like to point out the irony of, of all this stuff. And, um, so, but there's a, there's a way to, to think about this and there's a way to approach this because, People I know who are saying, sharing these memes and you know, poking fun at the the hippies, it, 
like those are also people I know who love creation. Yeah. They love like mm-hmm. my parents are a great example of this. Mm-hmm. Like my dad does a better job at recycling than I do. He's the, he peels off all the labels. He scrubs the inside of um, of vegetable cans before he puts them in the recycling. Wow, yeah. that is so impressive. So like he's like, well, if we're going to recycle, I'm going to make sure that it gets accepted and processed. Mr. Mm. Self, yeah. if you are listening to this podcast, I respect you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Parents never littered. You know, I, got, I remember getting rebuked for littering. Oh, my, yeah. you know, my parents love, you know, looking at the sunsets and going out into, you know, walking and looking at the trees. My dad's the kind of guy that will pick up trash if he sees it just because he doesn't want that to, one, it looks bad. And then two, he, you know, he he cares about that stuff going into the ground. So, um, so it's, <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, I just, if we take this out of the, the political realm and mm-hmm. put it into the theological realm, I think we would all do a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, okay. Say that once more. If we took this out of. Yeah. If we took, um, care for creation and nature. Yeah. If we took that out of the, if we take that out of the political realm and put it in the theological realm, we mm-hmm. as Christians can be more efficient in, in our stewardship of what God has given us. I've got this, I've got this great book called Ravished by Beauty. The subtitle is The Surprising Legacy of Reformed Spirituality. And that's his argument is that caring and loving for the world is the inheritance of a reformed spiritual view of of the earth. And he does a great job showing how Calvin and the classical reformers were absolutely in love with creation. He even Mm. says, I don't know if I'd push the argument this far, but he even says that if you take the reformers seriously, there are times on which they border the line of worshiping creation. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think that they did yeah. because they believe that worship exclusively exclusively belonged to Yahweh, but he says they got close. And if you take worshiping God seriously, you might even get close. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a dangerous thing to say, but yeah. I thought it was That's interesting. It was worth I thought it was worth I need to read that about. book because you've quoted it several times. I, I love it, dude. I mean he does he's a great scholar on Calvin, and so he just has a lot to say about um, he talks about the two different Calvins. I think you'll find this to be really, really fascinating. Let me see if I can find this. Because um, I, I identify with what he's saying here. He says, For a long time I've had a love-hate relationship with John Calvin. I love the undomesticated wildness of his great and glorious God. It puts to rout the sedate, housebroken deity that masquerades as God in so many churches today. I delight in the energetic power of Calvin's mind. He anchors theology and scripture and tradition while demanding its practical application and transforming culture. I marvel at his embrace of paradox. His God of majesty, who causes the earth to tremble, is also a God who weeps, whose astonishing warmth and tenderness of affection is that of a mother giving birth, gasping in labor. And this is the Calvin I love. But I cringe at Calvin the polemicist whose acid tongue harshly judge Roman Catholics as monkeys, dogs, pigs, and wolves. And I shrink from his tendency to conceive of God as only wrapped in words and stripped of liturgical imagery. Hmm. I wrestle with the Calvinist tradition that I've inherited from him. I am a passionate Calvinist and a reluctant Calvinist. Isn't that interesting? I feel like that's how I identify right now. I know, right? He that's loves cool. Calvin's huge theology of the majesty and wonder of God, um, but some of the cold stuff that gets attributed to mm-hmm. him. It's long sermons and heady intellectualism. 
Yeah, I thought that was good. That is good. And I, yeah, I think finding be- you you care for the things that you find beauty in. And I think w- with how society has become urbanized, um, we've you know you know we live in Des Moines. And there's lots of, there's lots of trees in Des Moines, there's rivers. Um, but if you go into like these mega cities where it's just a, it's just concrete and steel everywhere, Mm -hmm. uh, you don't find, you won't find the earth as beautiful. Therefore you're not going to take care of it. Like if you look at some of these, you know, mountain people, like they love the earth and take care of the earth. They don't want you to bring other stuff in there Mm -hmm. because they find it as beautiful and it's their, you know, their natural resources. Like some of the most, all the animal conservation comes from hunters, like hunters want there to be more animals. Um, but you know, I, I find my wife to be beautiful. So I take, I take care of her. Mm-hmm. I find my yeah. kids to be beautiful. So I take care of her. I find the frontier church to be beautiful. So I want to take care of her. Um, so if I look at my grass as beautiful, I want to, I'm going to take care of it because I, yeah. like I treasure it. All right. And that's, you know, Piper talks about, you know, treasuring Christ above all. So if you treasure Christ above all, you're 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 going to you don't you're we're not you're not taking care of Christ, but you're you're properly relating with Christ, and the the Christian needs to properly relate with creation. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that means go vegan. There are people in our church who who take that route. Um, I'm not saying you yeah, know yeah. We, we should never hunt. This is it's a stewardship issue. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to think the past two years I've. I did not use chemicals to treat my lawn. It wasn't as nice as it was before, and it required more work for me to, you know, get the weeds out and to make the, you know, grass lush. Um, but that's just one thing that I wanted to do to not put whoa. chemicals into the ground. Whoa, 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 whoa! So you you made that decision based on conviction? Yeah, I did. Because I'm like, well, that's going, you know, water quality is an issue in Iowa. Yeah. Like it's becoming more mm-hmm. of an issue all around the world. And so I'm like, well, what, what's a little part that I can take in, you know, not contributing to this? Am I making a difference in the grand scheme of things? No. But that was something I was, I felt convicted about. So I had more weeds to deal with. I didn't have, I didn't win, you know, lawn of the week in my, from my mm-hmm. neighborhood association again. But I just, I wanted to do that little thing. That is fantastic. That convicted me, dude. I feel like that's a little thing that I can do, too, to care for God's earth. That's really good. You pay a price. But I, what I yeah. didn't notice was yeah. I paid more attention to my lawn. Yeah. I paid more mm. attention to the to the plants. I paid more attention to the trees because I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, where are, those, where are those weeds at? i got to find them. Whereas before, I'm just spraying and praying with you know, some, <laughs> spraying some praying. weed begun. Oh. <laughs> literally spraying and literally praying. Oh, man. And you're outside more. Yeah. And I think that's something that we struggle with in America a lot. Yes. Yeah. We sit inside and we look at our phones. And then if you're doing this consciously mm-hmm. being outside, looking for weeds, you're outside more. I feel like it, it's like a win-win all around mm-hmm. you, your grass, everybody. It's happy. So I don't know. Hmm. That's a, hmm. I think that's really good. I mean, and like the, the richness of the spirituality of the old Testament Mm-hmm. They're outside all the time. Mm-hmm. They're looking at into the heavens. They're looking at these. You know that's why trees are. You know this symbol of of big things. Trees are the symbol of. You know we've got the tree of life. We've got the garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Like these people are out. They're experiencing creation. They're not just reading about it in a textbook. Like they're out there looking at the stars and wondering, right. like, what is this telling me right now? How, wow. how does this? What is this? This great body of stars telling me about? the God of gods who created these things. Yeah. And That's what, great. And then uh, you talking about that. Made this conversation is just energizing me. Yeah. This is good. 
so you go into mega cities and you go to someone's house and they've got house plants everywhere and they're like we want to bring creation into our home i'm like yeah because there's nothing out there <laughs> like you like and and they're like it's beautiful to us we love that we can decorate with these things and we're growing plants and they're lush and beautiful and great and to me that says like we long for the creation and so we're going to put it in our house because there's nowhere else we can find it in this city that we're in unless you go to a park that's like 25 blocks away. And right now, you definitely don't want to walk outside. So, like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, it, I feel like we just as humans long for creation. We love creation and it is beautiful and we're drawn to it. And that's why even those little things like make such a big difference. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. So I think... And I think- and I think that's also why a a characteristic that is sort of a trademark for God's enemies in the scriptures are people who don't give a rip about nature. There seems to be a, a connection mm. in 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 God's enemies that to not care about God and to not care about God's people means that you end up not caring for mm-hmm. creation, which is why it's perfectly fitting for God to describe the Babylonians and Habakkuk as doing violence to the earth. Because mm-hmm. this is all connected to a really important mandate in Genesis. right? This is like the first commandment, the first mandate that God gives to his people is what Christians call the creation mandate. Mm-hmm. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea mm-hmm. and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So God's people are supposed to rule over creation. And a specifically biblical view of rule means that you care for it, nourish it, and tend to it, and help it flourish and grow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is to not do that is to be an enemy of God, which is what the Babylonians are doing. Yeah, dude. So you've got the creation... Smiling over there. This is going to be good. Mm-hmm. you got the, the creation mandate, and Adam and Eve, they, they fail at it, right? But then what happens on the resurrection day? Jesus is disguised as the gardener. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, so the symbolism of him being the truer and better gardener. Like w- right. where Adam failed in his in the mandate to be fruitful and multiply when it, and uh, to cultivate the earth faithfully alongside God, Jesus is the tr- truer and better gardener. Mm, he took yeah, that's that right. he took that mandate seriously. It's also yeah. a poetic statement on the deity of Jesus mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. in the book of Genesis, it's God who plants the garden. Yep. And in the gospel, <laughs> it's God in the flesh who plants the new garden. Mm. Ah! <laughs> One. Mm. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> well, you'd also think too, I was reading because it's right around where you guys are talking. But I mean, even if you think about it, like just as I was saying, like we're, we're drawn to creation. We're, I, th- I feel like we're in some weird way. This is, this is where I get really like hippie, but like, we're connected. <laughs> oh, to this nature. is where, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like we were created from dust from the ground. Right. We were created. And that like, I don't know, maybe that connection, like we're, I mean, we're created in the likeness of the image of God, but he used dust and the earth to create us. And so would it not make sense that we were, had some type of connection toward, towards creation in that way, just because of that. And then you talk about the gardener, like that's, I feel like just full circle, like Genesis really like ties, ties this in and brings it home. Um, 
I love that. That's really good. Yeah. I mean, the, the imagery in the temple mm. relating to the garden of Eden, the fact that, uh, in new creation, like it's, it's a garden city. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And there are some people, I, I, I'm trying to remember where, but they associate, they say that cities are associated with evil in, in the, in the scriptures. I don't think you should go that far, but, uh, but I think the, the less that the world looks like, uh, I'm not going to go there. That's unhelpful, but <laughs> it's, it's interesting that some people make literary um, claims that the Bible associates evil with cities. And that's, that's not true. They, but they, they mainly say that because Cain was the first one to go out and you know he, he started the first city. Mm. Um, but then his descendants go on to like be known as, you know, these hunters and killers mm. Um so you see the the unraveling of humanity leads to destruction of of uh, of nature and of all of all created things of animals. Yeah. Hmm. So here's the way that here's the way that NT Wright describes it. He he ties this back to Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 where God says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And he says, mm. quote as it stands, this is a remarkable statement. How can the waters cover the sea? They are the sea. So it looks as though, if we're to take the prophet seriously, that God intends to flood the universe with himself, mm-hmm. as though the universe, nature, the entire cosmos was designed to be a receptacle for his love. So we might even suggest, and I love this, as part of a Christian aesthetic, that the world is beautiful not just because it hauntingly reminds us of its creator, but also because creation is pointing forward. It's designed to be filled, flooded, and drenched in God as a chalice is beautiful, not least because of what we know it's designed to contain, or a violin is beautiful, not least because we know the music of which it is capable. So he describes creation as a chalice. Mm. It is beautiful in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You can look at the mountains and slam the brakes mm-hmm. and look at creation, and you can see that it's beautiful in and of itself, the same way that an empty chalice is beautiful. But the ultimate design of a chalice is to be filled with wine in the mm-hmm. same way that the ultimate design of nature is to be filled with the glory mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah, that's awesome. Man. Whoa. I don't know if I could top N.T. right. Mm. <laughs> You're not N.T. wrong about that. No. Good. You guys have anything else to say on how this should impact the way that we view the earth? Just Habakkuk, God's pronouncement of destruction upon people who destroy his earth. I mean... I don't know, this kind of, you reading that kind of reminded me of Romans. I don't know if this is contextually accurate in, in everything, but like eight nineteen through 22 says, For the creation, creation waits with eager longing for the mm. revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, um, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and like longing for the return of the Lord. I think, um, and the, there's many more verses that reference that, but creation longs and waits just like we are longing and waiting. So I mean, that's another thing to think like, 
if we honor and respect the earth and we and we do that with love and care um also thinking the earth is longing for the lord's return mm-hmm. just as much as we are um that also is a good perspective to have when you're you know when you're riding down the road and you're like well that mcdonald's bag needs to go like don't throw it out the window <laughs> that's probably not a great idea oh you gosh know? dude i i had i don't even know if i should share this um <laughs> You should definitely share it. Now. Uh, okay, so now in, in high school, before I was a follower of Jesus, I remember this moment. I just, I just Set the context. Yeah, yeah. So let me. Yeah, this. Yeah, this was BC. Cole. So, yeah, Wrong BC. Hill. Don't right, let this color on. your view of Cole. Or or do I need mercy and grace too? Um, but I remember like junior year of high school a couple of buddies and i got into a car and we went to a went to a a hardcore punk show on the weekend and we had a 24 pack of beer right and so like we're just hammering beer on the way to the concert and i didn't think there was anything wrong with that but what was haunting for me in that moment was once we finished that case of beer we took a, a garbage bag of all the 24 cans and i just remember my friend rolling down the window and going and chucking oh, it into the nerd. Ditch. <laughs> and even as a non-follower of Jesus, who didn't think anything of the ethics of getting drunk or not, <laughs> when 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 I saw that bag of beer cans flying into the ditch, I felt like I had been punched in the stomach. <laughs> you know, that just felt like the most wicked thing you could do. It was the earth groaning. Well, what's interesting, dude, is that about uh, Romans 9, that's 9, right? Or is that 8? That's yeah. Okay. So what's interesting about Romans 8 is that Calvin develops his theology of creation based on that. And so he notes that there's a dual, what he calls dual longing in, mm. in Romans 8, which is we all groan inwardly and creation all groans inwardly. And so this develops what Calvin calls um, the, the purpose of creation to be mimetic, So creation is mimetic, and by that he means that the reason why creation exists is because we are supposed to imitate what it's doing. Mm. So like the 21st century postmodern person, you ask them, hey, what's the purpose of of creation? They might say, to give us the resources that we need to do to build more blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But that's not what the ancient Jew or the ancient Christian would Mm -hmm. say. They would say, what the earth is doing is praising and worshiping God. Mm -hmm. And it exists because we're supposed to imitate it. And Mm -hmm. it shows us how to worship and 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 rejoice in God. This is what Mm -hmm. Tertullian even in 200 AD, old church father said. He said, quote, nature is a school mistress, the soul of the pupil, and whatever nature has taught, she has learned from God, the teacher of the teacher. Mm. So Tertullian, I might get in trouble for saying this, but ter, so Tertullian sees nature almost as a priest, you know, somebody who operates as a mediator between us and God. Hmm. And I wouldn't go that far, but I like the language of school teacher who's been taught by God yeah. to teach us what it looks like to long for God and to worship God. Yeah, and then you think of, I don't think that's a, a leap because God has given us general revelation, like He's revealed to us who He is through creation. Yeah, right. So we yeah. have this witness, we have this priest who's testifying to the power of God. Mm-hmm. Paul, he you know lays that out in Romans one, and so whenever man 
kind inverts the way that God created thing. It's it's wicked. So we could look at, you know, this. He uses the you know relationships of men who who um, have sex with men, women who have sex with women. Like it's the inversion, the inversion of God's created order. And so if we compare Babylon to Judah, <clears throat> to Judah. They build the temple with the cedars of Lebanon, but Babylon destroys the cedars of Lebanon for their purposes. So it's this inversion right. of God's yeah. created order. Yeah. But, hmm. yeah. And it's like creation, you know, it's, and caring for creation, it seems like this, you know, hugely daunting thing. Like, right, you know, people um, have been saying, you've got these organizations that say uh, climate change and global warming are the greatest, you know, the greatest danger facing. Uh, society and so a lot of Christians mm-hmm. will say um, th- we don't trust those people they're wicked they're evil so it doesn't matter what I do to creation it doesn't matter how I relate with nature um, and you know it's it's easy to see the hypocrisy of people who you know are like we recycle but then they sell our recycling to mm-hmm. you know other to small countries who wind up just throwing it in the in the seas and so. You know, I have, I'm thinking through what what can I do? Not because I'm solving the world's problems, um, but because I'm I, I want to focus on my locality. Like, how can I make first mm-hmm. my house better? Like yeah. Jordan Peterson in his new book coming out, he's got a rule, and it's make at least one room in your house as beautiful as it can be. Oh yeah, baby. So it, the, the point of that is you know taking these incremental steps to uh, enjoy things, to appreciate them, to make them better than they were before. So like, what can I do to make my you know, yard as beautiful as I can. How can I make my street as beautiful Mm. as I can, you know, and, and taking the steps out because if you just say, yeah, global warming, climate change, that's, that stuff is bad, but you don't, cause you've got these companies that virtue signal about, we care about climate change and they're running trucks all over the place. They're enslaving humans to create their products. They're, you know, they're the, the worst culprits of, you know, (laughs) impacting the environment negatively. Um, but for, for Christians, like I, I think, asking yourself the question: Am I properly relating relating with the things that God has created? Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether yeah. it be humans, whether it be animals, whether it be um, whether it be yeah, nature and the environment. Like, how do we? Am, am I properly? If, can, when I look at the Bible and I see God's care for for man, woman, animals of the sky, animals of the field, animals of the sea, um, and trees and flowers. When I look at that, am I am I relating to it in the way that God intended me to? Um, so, like, that's causing me to ask myself certain questions. Like, I would love to not rely on factory farms for my meat. I would love to, you know, find a local farmer to get my meat yeah, from because yeah. those animals are treated humanely, um, and they're not, you know, just willy nilly wasting a bunch of meat. Um, how can I? Like, I, I'm I'm planning on growing a garden this year, and I'm trying to get other church members together to grow gardens, yeah, so baby. we can have a little little produce exchange. Um, and so that's causing me to like, okay, well, I'm going to start composting then because I need this, you know, I need some some stuff to benefit the soil for my gardens. Mm-hmm. So look, just taking those incremental steps, not because I want to make myself look good, but because I want to relate with with creation more. Like, I want to properly. Uh, appreciate it and properly steward it. So like, what are just some little things that I can do? Cause I'm, I can't give up driving a vehicle with fuel in it. I can't, I, I can't do that. I don't live in a way that I can do that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I, I want to like, in, in doing those things, that's going to cause me to enjoy God more 
because I'm going to be like, oh, look at these eggshells that I'm going to put in the compost pile. Like, isn't this crazy that this egg stays in the shell for this long and you can eat it and now it's going to go back into the soil? Like, just it's going to cause me to be in awe of God more. Yeah, dude. So that um, make one room in your house as beautiful as possible. That reminds me of an essay, obviously, this isn't going to surprise you guys, that I read from Wendell Berry called Think Little. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he, he talks about his his problem with the conversations about global warming and the conversations and the nature of the conversations and the language that we use when we talk about climate change. He doesn't like it when people refer to it as the environment mm. or the climate because that abstracts it mm. into something that only big corporations have the ability to change. He says, no, it's not climate, not an atmosphere, it's the earth. Mm-hmm. So he begins to build his argument for what he calls thinking little. He says, God's love is little, not in power, but in scope. God loves the little sparrow. He sets his love upon the smallest scale of measurement, the little sparrow or the hair on your head. And so when we think about loving the earth, we should think little. What's the mm. smallest thing that I can do mm. to help love the earth? And so I like I like that. Mm. I like the one room as beautiful as possible. Yeah. I yeah. like the mentality of think little. Who's Wendell Berry? <laughs> get, get out. How'd you even get into this house? Get out of here. Get out of here. I call you Nick Powell. <laughs> no. That's, that's too far. Yeah. <laughs> I Powell learned about Barry through Cold Nike. Oh, get you your go. get your order right. I'm the resident scholar on Barry. He's the one who poisoned the well for me to read Barry. <laughs> so we're thinking little. Let's just keep the conversation right there. Um, I like the garden point. Is there anything else that you guys do when it comes to thinking about the question of what's our responsibility to care for the earth as Christians? Teaching your kids. If you've got kids, teaching your kids. Ooh. Yeah, like that for yeah. me. Um, oh gosh, it was it was right before Christmas when those two planets, you know, they uh, people oh, call it the Christmas star. Mm. I can't remember the planet. Anyway, mm. uh, maybe it wasn't even a planet. All I know is it made a big glowy thing in the sky. Um, so, yeah. I, but I so I took my kids. I was past their bedtime. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for it to be clear. Wrapped them up in blankets and took them out to look at this you know cosmic event going on, and. That has caused them most nights since then to ask for, to go outside and look at it and like, well, this comes around like every 600 years. So you're out of luck right now, <laughs> but, but uh, like the, that starting small there for them to, mm. to look at it, creation and be like, man, this is amazing. And God mm. put these things together. He, he puts them where they're supposed to be. Um, like how, you know, the singing the little kid song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Like, mm. so showing them that, uh, cause I think that's with my parents, like they did little things like that of, Oh, look at these leaves changing colors. Look at these stars, look at the sunset, look at the sunrise, like teaching my kids that using it as a liturgy, um, to, to form in them a love for God and a love for, for creation. Cause that's what we do with people. You know, but we talk with my, I talk with my kids and Tracy talks with our kids about, you know, how people are different, how God has made people different and how that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they under, they see the, the differences in people and they're like, wow, isn't that cool that this person looks like this or this person talks like that? Um, but doing that with creation as well, because um, I want my kids to be better at relating with creation than I am. Mm. This is going to blow your mind. You're talking about uh, the diversity and how that's the result of God's creation. Again, this comes from Ravished by Beauty and it's about Calvin. So this is brilliant, though. He says, quote, 
Calvin thought that all three persons of the Trinity were and are involved in the act of creation. They share in a common yearning, even as they assume different roles in the way they desired the world into being. Calvin said, To the Father is attributed the beginning of activity and the fountain and wellspring of all things. To the Son, wisdom, counsel, and the ordered disposition of all things. But to the Spirit is assigned the power and efficacy of that activity. In other words, the Father as Calvin sees it, expresses a delight in being in general, bringing the world into existence. The Son desires that this creation take specific shape and form as a king calling forth the elegance of trees, and the Spirit hungers for the lively individuality and intricacy of the pines, the maples, and the coconut palms. The distinctive beauty of the universe, says Calvin, owes its strength to the power of the Trinity. In each of these ways, God, as Trinity takes pleasure in creating ever new possibilities for relationship in a ceaseless reflection and celebration of the divine splendor. So in other words, his argument for biodiversity is that it's rooted in the distinction among the persons of the Trinity. Mm. The reason we have, have variety is so that we would see the unity and also the diversity within the economy of the Trinity. That's I, good. That was a brilliant argument. Whoa. Johnny Cal. Hmm. J. Cal. JC. What are you doing, Donna Frill? What do you want to do? What are you planning on doing? How will you do it? I I, I don't (laughs) know. Um, No, I... Well, we... Like last year, we started doing some gardening in our own house. And then you brought that up, like the community garden. And that's something that my grandmother always did. She loved having garden in her backyard and so like um i really feel like that for me has been really great and this past year we kind of slacked quite a bit but i i think we just had kale because it's like a no-brainer just throw some (laughs) seeds down it's like well there's the kale that was really easy (laughs) you know but like um one thing that i did do that i'm excited about this year is we had um i got some strawberry plants and i planted them and like I did not see any fruit. And that's something that also the boys didn't see um, because they're like, we planted strawberries. Those don't look like strawberries. You know, like, but I think they did finally take root. And so this year we should see fruit from it. And that's going to be really cool to see like, okay, it might not be an immediate for you. Like even the little things, like, like you were saying, like you took time to, not do chemicals in your yard and it took a lot of work, but you're still seeing the guard be the garden or the yard be beautiful. It just takes a lot more effort. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it takes a lot of time for those things to happen. And so, um, it's an opportunity to present like perseverance. I think even in this with, with gardening or whatever else you're doing, you, you had mentioned like walking around the, the block and picking up trash whenever you see it, or even like, taking the time to do like some community work. I think that that could be something that's really cool um, in our neighborhoods for the church members that live near each other, you know, like, Hey, our community in our neighborhood does this, like, you know, walk around the walk around the neighborhood and pick up trash. Maybe we should all like jump in and do that one week, you know, mm, just as yeah. like a, a fun little thing to, to improve the neighborhood together. And who knows what, opportunities opportunities that's presenting with like the gospel being shared so um 
Yeah, that's kind of my... Yeah, I was thinking about what I would say during the podcast, too, and I was kind of convicted of... I really enjoyed doing this little thing last summer, but I only did it a couple times and I want to do it every time I go on a walk. So a couple times with the kids this last summer, when I went on a walk around the block, all I did was take a, take, take a little, take a little garbage sack and I threw it in the stroller. And whenever I saw trash, I picked it up. Hmm. So I'm walking the, I'm already outside walking the kids (laughs) around the block. It's a great example to teach the kids about God's love for creation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I only did it a couple times last summer, but I want to do it every time I go on a walk this coming summer. Yeah, that's good. Think little, but yeah. Well, because it's so easy for us to be like, uh, somebody else pick, somebody else will pick that up, or the street sweeper will come by. Mm-hmm. Like uh, yesterday, or came a, a day in the past. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was at the four way stop right down the street from my house and this guy stops and I thought he was throwing up. What he had done is dumped out a cup of cigarette butts on the street. Oh bro. That, it was, I was so, I was so mad, but I didn't pick them up. I was like, somebody else will get that. Or maybe they'll be back. Maybe they'll still be there when I drive back home and I'll pick them up. They were gone when I, somebody else cleaned that up. But you know, just that I, I, you know, delegated that task to someone else theoretically. Yeah. So like yeah. seeing that this is, I'm a, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm yeah. his representative on this street. I should care about that intersection. I should care about how it looks and what goes into the ground, what goes into the water, what goes on the street. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really easy for me to be like, ah, I've got to, got to get to the grocery store. Yeah. I, I love how holistic your vision for being formed in the image of Jesus is, dude. Like that vision that to, to imitate and be made into the image of King Jesus means that we take dominion over our block. Like, I think that's so cool. And I think so many postmodern Christians just simply see spiritual growth and development as, I just need to read more of my Bible. Mm-hmm. Huge fan of reading my Bible. We're huge fans of the Bible yeah. at Frontier. But it almost seems like, hey, you need to read this part of your Bible is like taking discipleship seriously. And that part of being a disciple of Jesus, like caring for the earth, is like an optional thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something I've been increasingly convicted about the past 18 months or so uh, of just seeing in my own life how I I just, yeah, I'm a student of Jesus and not necess- and not a follower of Jesus. Like I'm going mm-hmm. all on the way with Jesus. So how would Jesus interact in this circumstance? Mm-hmm. If Jesus mm-hmm. saw someone litter, what would he do? Would he just like cuss under his breath and keep walking or would he bend down and pick it up? If Jesus had my lawn, would he just spray a bunch of chemicals on it or would he <laughs> take the time to get on his hands and knees with a shovel and pluck mm-hmm. those weeds out of the, out of the ground? Um, so, so, cause I, I've tried to apply those things and other er- that mentality in other areas of my life, but I like, I feel now that I've become more, uh, yeah, convicted about it in my relationship with creation. Because God, I, I, I do believe that God has He's given us creation to experience it, not just, right, right. and it doesn't terminate on itself, but to experience Him. Like He has created this, and I'm not saying God is in the tree, I'm saying that God created that tree, and that tree is a tool for you to look at how beautiful it is and to enjoy God, and knowing mm-hmm. that He created the uniqueness of the bark, He yeah. created the strength of the limbs, mm-hmm. He created the beauty of the of the leaves and not the leaf, the tree gets its food from the sun. Like just think about how complex this world is and how mm-hmm. complex and beautiful God is. Right. And you can't, you can't read Genesis two without having the image of your head that our God is God who has his hands dirty. 
Yeah. You can't read Genesis 2 and walk away from it without thinking, wow, our Trinitarian God of the universe, sovereign creator of all things, has a lot of dirt under his fingernails, mm-hmm. constantly involved in creation yep. and digging and planting. And um, one, this I thought there was an this was an interesting suggestion of how we can care for God's creation. This is hypocritical because I've never done this, <laughs> but I think it's at least interesting to think about. Matthew Sleeth, <laughs> Matthew Sleeth is a dude who's got a book called Reforesting Faith, and the entire like the premise of it is that every important part of the Bible is marked by a tree. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you've got that in creation. You've got the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You've got that in the burning bush. You've got that in the crucifixion of Jesus. You've got that in the book of Revelation. So the Bible starts with a tree and ends with a tree. Mm -hmm. Um, Really interesting premise. But he makes the argument that one way we can love our neighbors is by planting trees. He says, he says, let's say... For example, that a church or a group of churches decides to partner with residents of a poorer neighborhood to plant trees. And let's assume that the motivation for planting trees is the second half of the great commandment, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So, let's count the ways that the simple act of planting trees will help us express our love for others. Planting trees will produce loving fruit by lowering energy costs, ensuring better water quality, increasing property values, reducing crime rates, providing cleaner air, providing shade, and creating beauty. It's like, whoa, not a bad argument for loving poor neighborhoods, planting trees. And if you're in Des Moines, the city every year gives away free little trees that you can plant. You just have to go, you reserve them and you go pick them up. So that's... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Hey, where'd you get that? Hmm? Where'd you do that? I think it's just Des Moines Public Works or something like that. Or what? DNR. I don't know if DNR runs it. I don't know oh. the, who runs it, but on the Des Moines Facebook, on the Des Moines uh, Public Works Facebook page, they'll post like, hey, reserve your free trees. Hmm. And you do that. That's sweet. Yeah. I want to collect my rainwater this year, too. Mm. Water my plants, mm. water my garden with rainwater. Rock and roll. Des Moines, they, Des Moines also does uh, Parks and Rec. They'll have like a shop where they you build your, it's like 50 bucks or something, and they teach you how to build your rain barrel. It's really cool. Parks Guys, this is like a surprisingly good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm coming into this like, this is going to suck. No, I'm like, <laughs> an hour before you guys came, I was like, I don't know if we have like enough to like oh, actually gosh. make this into a riveting podcast. <laughs> yeah. And I am on the edge of my seat. <laughs> oh, I was a little worried too. <laughs> collecting rain. Well, what? now we need to jump on that bandwagon. <laughs> I know. We're at an hour and 15 minutes right now, oh. by the way. Well, great. Do you guys have any other ways that you think we can think little and care for the earth as Christians? Mm. Bird watching. Are you doing that? I know you were talking about I was going to do it before that. they canceled the class last year, but even just sitting here in your, your dining room, I've been looking at like the, uh, I love Cardinals and there's a male and a female Cardinal <laughs> flying around and you're hopping around in your trees. Yeah. Yeah. I took some pictures of them already, but Della loves those show. Even when there isn't a bird out there, if there's a lull in the conversation, <laughs> Della will go Cardinal <laughs> <laughs> even when there's dude, no bird out dude, there. They're just chilling out there. Yeah, um, yeah. Like my, like, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had these, well, it started before the pandemic, but we had these, had a barred owl in our backyard and we'd hear it every night. And so like my kids started to love the, 
here in the owl. But then as the pandemic started to roll out and things were shut down, you know, and you're trapped in your house because everything's closed, um, we started to see the little baby owls. Like they started hopping out and hopping around. My kids, Lydia named the the owl acorn feather hop and so like it's <laughs> so like there's this they so now we heard that we heard an owl again a couple of nights ago and so now they're excited it's like just seeing the beauty in that and knowing that god cares for those little creatures mm. and mm. you know and I, I i love dogs but i wouldn't be a good dog owner so i don't own a dog so and this I just can sound like a hippie in a lot of ways but you know I don't care. I'm at a point where I don't care anymore. I don't care if people think I'm a hippie because I'm it's fantastic. definitely yeah. not. But man, I just, yeah, I, this world that God has created for us is beautiful and I want to enjoy it and I want to steward it well. I want to teach my kids to do that. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. The bird watching thing that actually ties into one of my small pieces of advice, which is make time to marvel at creation. Mm-hmm. So this is, again, coming from Calvin's theology of earth and creation. He says, quote, All human beings are formed to be a spectator of the created world and given eyes that she might be led to its author by contemplating so beautiful a representation of his glory. So this forms what Calvin's ultimate theology of nature is, which is the dazzling theater of the glory of God. So Calvin sees like the main purpose of being a human being as to be a spectator in the theater of creation and to look at all of the ways that God is glorified in nature so that we worship him. It's what you are. You're like a Mm. spectator in this dazzling theater of his glory. And so um, when the weather gets nice, go on walks and just take time to meditate and contemplate creation until it causes you to worship the creator. Mm. I mean, that's yeah the how great thou art like that was written by a guy who was observing a thunderstorm yeah mm. you know he um like it was a poem first and then it got turned into a hymn but he says almighty god when i behold the wonder of nature's beauty wrought by words of thine and how thou leadest all from realms up yonder sustaining earthly life with love benign with rapture filled my soul thy name would laud Almighty God, Almighty God, when I behold the heavens in their vastness, where golden ships in azure issue forth, where sun and moon keep watching upon the fastness of changing seasons and times on earth, when crushed by guilt of sin before thee kneeling, I plead for mercy and for grace and peace. I fill thy balm and all my bruises healing. My soul is filled, my heart is set at ease. And when at last the mists of time have vanished, and I in truth my faith confirmed shall see upon the shores where earthly ills are banished, I'll enter, Lord, to dwell in peace with thee. That's and you, like, there's more verses to it, but you know, just uh, this guy who was, you know, taking a walk, he's this thunderstorm happens, and then he's like, Oh, this is a moment for me to capture. Mm-hmm. You know, Jordan Peterson also has like a rule of stop and pet a cat when you encounter one. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> slowing down. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and well, and, it's like Donifer said, hit the brakes. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're just you're pausing and not just going through the motions. Yeah. And I think that the things that you find beautiful, you will slow down for. Yeah, yeah. So cultivate this. Yeah, cultivate your own understanding of what is beautiful. Um, one one more Calvin quote. <laughs> quote. <laughs> The contemplation of heaven and earth is the very school of God's children. So if you don't like theater as a metaphor, school is another great metaphor Mm -hmm. that Calvin would employ. 
one of the reasons why I feel like I'm quoting Calvin so much is um, I like quoting Calvin and his spiritual view of the earth because it dissolves the mystery or it, it sometimes I feel like you can't take theology seriously and still love God's creation. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, and if you feel that way, if you feel like loving nature is somehow reserved for only little children and tree hugging hippies, <laughs> you got that idea from the world and not from the word. Yeah. yeah. When you read the word, it's very clear that you can take the glory of God and an intellectual understanding of God very seriously while still having a rigorous view of the beauty of the earth and yeah. caring for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you, yeah. It's amazing how a guy started a thunderstorm caused him to reflect on the on the power and majesty of God and then also the power of God's salvation through Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. man, just and the Bible is so beautiful. Thinking about the curse bringing forth thorns and thistles and then what what is rammed in Jesus' head before he's crucified? A crown of thorns. That's right. And Huge. God God Whoa. was wanted to sustain Adam and Eve with the tree of life. They sinned and rebelled. What did Jesus die on? A cross that was fastened out of a tree. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you yeah, these you can yeah catechize yourself with a with a freaking tree. You can slip into this meditation of oh, this tree reminds me of the cross that Jesus was crucified on because mm-hmm. of my sin to atone for my sins. Yeah, that dude who wrote Reforesting Faith, Matthew Sleeth, said, "Other than God and people, the Bible mentions trees more than any other living thing." Mm-hmm. Hmm. Ah, I know, I know. So if all of this is true, if this is the way that God views the earth, and if these are the purposes for which God has created the earth, it's no wonder that God says, the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. Mm. So... um, don't be a Babylonian. <laughs> we love you guys, and we hope this uh, we hope this podcast helps you take creation seriously, to care for it, and ultimately to worship local. Mm-hmm.